Welcome back to part three of the Peter Nygaard case. I'm girl, you haven't heard, this is the final installment. If you haven't part watched part one and two, definitely go back and do that now. In 2019, Nygaard had a Bahamian case pending against him. So he was actually convicted of contempt of court in the Bahamas, and he was sentenced to 90 days in jail for failing to appear in court for the long-running environmental dispute, right, that I mentioned way back when, it feels like ages ago when we were talking about his feud with um, Louis Bacon. But um, he appealed this ruling and his appeal was denied, you know. But his one of his sons says that Nygaard called the Bahamas home for over 40 years, but chose to leave the land right before he was supposed to be in court for these, um, for this whole situation. And his father never returned to the island after the arrest warrant was issued. So he literally just abandoned um, everything that he had there. And if he were to step foot into the Bahamas at any point, they would arrest him on the spot. Or would they? Because of the bribes and connections he's built and made up until this point. Stefan Ferraglio was a man who was actually responsible for recording all of the hidden parts of Nygaard's life that he wanted to document for himself, for his own sick personal satisfaction. But specifically the pamper parties, that was like majority of the content that he was responsible for getting. Um, and he was actually hired in 2011, so that's the year that we're in right now. And he would actually work for Nygaard over the next three years. Um, and he was based out of LA, which at the time was very convenient because Nygaard was consistently in and out of LA for these parties. And he would routinely fly with Nygaard on a plane, which was named the Lolita Express. And when he was talking about why he felt the need to come forward uh, when he did, because he did publicly, you know, call Nygaard out in 2020, um, he said, if I don't expose him, he's going to get away with all of the things that he's been doing, which is very true, right? If he didn't come forward with this video evidence, things may have been very different or public opinion may have been very different about the situation, which is horrific to admit, right? Like the testimonies and the stories of these women and girls should be more than enough. But unfortunately, it isn't always. So upon his hiring, Nygaard actually told him that the reason and this to me was so ridiculous and it was so unnecessary, but it shows how big of an ego this man had, right? He said that the reason why Jesus is so popular is because he had a really good PR team. And Nygaard needed a really good PR team. And so it was his job to record everything. So like I said, he had the Lolita Express, which was a private Boeing 727, customized with a stripper pole, a bed for sex, and this is where he would transport and rape girls and women. Stefan says that Nygaard would usually come, right? Uh, whether it's at the on the plane or like at the parties, he would come and choose a girl and they would usually be drunk or intoxicated, like on drugs, some sort of substance that altered their mindset. And he would grab them and dance with them. And then at the end of the night, he would give some sort of signal, like, I don't know what the signal was, but he would give some sort of signal that would mean it was time to stop filming. Um, like he knew he was about to do too much. He knew he was about to push things too far and he didn't want that to be recorded. 
right? So he would then go up to the room with two, three or more girls at a time before coming back and getting the next round of girls. In 2012, Stefan was filming Nygaard um, and his victims were boarding the Lolita Express. And Nygaard said, um, or not Nygaard, Stefan said that on the plane there's food, there's poker, there's karaoke, a movie, uh, as well as drinking and dancing. So it's just like a lot of things are going on at one time. And there was also a bed in the plane. And this is where he would rape girls. And the bed was at the front of the plane. So it's like the pilots and everyone could hear what was going on, right? Everyone knew what was going on and chose to ignore it. Even though a lot of the times the girls who were on these flights were underage, right? They were exactly that girls or they were being coerced into sex or they were being drugged and then raped. Like it wasn't, it was never like just a straight on consensual experience on these planes and everyone just ignored it, which is terrible. Um, I also want to know if these pilots, this is just like my own personal thing, but are they still working? Did they ever get, was there ever any accountability for this? Like I, I highly doubt it, but just my tangent thought brain. But yeah, so during this specific incident in 2012, um, they were headed to Las Vegas and Nygaard had actually had so many women around, he got confused about how many were actually there um, as he's showing them around the plane. He's like, oh, I thought we lost one. Like I thought we had more, like he lost track. Um, Stefan also caught Nygaard lusting after a 16-year-old Olympic runner at the 2012 Summer Olympics in London. Um, and Stefan said that like very normal occasions where they're just going out there just doing stuff would often quickly turn into recruiting sessions, which is unfortunate and disgusting also. Nygaard makes his way over to the 16-year-old and there was other 16-year-olds around right and he talks to them and but he hones in on this one 16 year old that he's obviously lusting after so he tells them like oh it's so good that you're so young and you're in the olympics you know just at 16 yet he then whispers to one of his girlfriends one of his victims um to get the number of the teenager he said i don't want to lose her now that i found her he said get her number her cell number or something, two phone numbers. I don't want to lose her now that I found her. That's exactly what he said, which is like, you. Just to be here at Olympics and to be running, good for you. That's yeah, just, that's and that's 16 yet. He finds out during this conversation that she is 16 years old. We're gonna feed you a cell number or something, yeah. Two phone numbers. I don't want to lose her now that I found her. <laughs> But uh, this was a recruiting session, right? So it was common knowledge that if the girls or the women who he had been forcing around with him, if they had found somebody else that Nygaard was interested in, then that means that he would leave them alone for the night. And Stefan said that like, it's very typical for these women to recruit other women and girls for Nygaard just so that they're not a victim themselves. And I feel like, this concept I really struggled to understand, but also I understood it. You know what I mean? Like I I couldn't imagine going through something so horrendous and then feeling like the only way out is to bring somebody else into your horror, you know? 
um, it's just like a, a catch-22, you're losing either way. So Stefan was, Stefan also caught Nygaard, oh, I don't know what that accent was, that was really weird. Uh, he also caught Nygaard on film yelling at employees. Um, in the Bahamas, he was screaming at a male employee or like a Bahamian contractor. Um, and another video was of him yelling at an airport, um, at an, yelling in an airport at an employee where Nygaard can be heard saying, you're not following my law, which is like, what were they arguing about? Obviously something something that Nygaard wanted him to do and he was not feeling comfortable doing it. It's a temper. It's so disgusting, your behaviors. It's the worst place I visit. Whatever we now have to do with this stupidity, we should check them together. He screamed at us and, and he screamed at me a lot. It was a very stressful environment. I don't make the law here, Nygaard. Well, I'm just following it. You're not following my law. So Stefan said that Nygaard screamed at them a lot. Like there was a lot of verbal abuse when working with him and it became quickly became a very stressful environment. So throughout 2012, um, Nygaard had a particular 17 year old traveling with him wherever he wanted. And this was the same girl that Stefan was able to capture um, dancing on a stripper pole while Nygaard sat there excited and thrilled by what he was seeing i'm not gonna there are like the clips and stuff of this but i'm not gonna include them just because they're minors so yeah i won't be doing that but if you want to see them you can go seek them out on your own but stefan says that when the girlfriends were around um nygaard always needed sex and when he wanted to go out for dinner he would often parade them around um, and he would actually do this during meetings. He would show them off like their prizes or like prime cuts of meat or something. And on another occasion where Stefan was recording in a hotel, Nygaard motioned over to the room and said, this is where we sin. This is our sin bin. So obviously like he thought it was a joke. He thought it was funny that he just rapes all these women and all these girls. Stefan's videos got caught up in the Louis Bacon and Nygaard pissing contest because that's really what it is. It's just like, oh, I have more money than you. I have more power than you. I have more connections than you. My God, who the hell cares? And Stefan says that after leaving his employment from Nygaard in 2014, he immediately went to Louis Bacon and he offered to give him hundreds of hours of video footage in exchange for legal protection um, from lawsuits because we know Mr. Nygaard likes to sue, sue any and everybody that he can. And he also was requiring compensation for his living expenses. Um, Louis' lawyers would eventually go on to request access to the videos as they said they wanted to use them as evidence in several ongoing lawsuits in the Bahamas that needed to be settled. So over the next five years, right from 2014 to 2019, Nygaard fought in court to keep the videos private, saying that Stefan was his employee and he didn't own the videos. Nygaard did. But in 2019, Nygaard decided to just ditch the case. But now we are going to start to get into Nygaard's downfall. Um, and all of it kind of started in 2020. So in March of 2020, uh, this kind of... This was like the kickoff, I suppose. So um, 
nine of his companies were forced into receivership by the courts in Manitoba. So his companies owed millions of dollars to several creditors and they decided to go after him legally um, to receive their money because they had been waiting and they were sick of waiting. So um, the state of receivership, I had to Google this because I was like, I don't know what this means. So it basically means like his companies were forced into liquidation so that he could pay off his debts because he wasn't paying them on his own. So the province of Manitoba kind of just stepped in and took over there. Now in 2020 um, of March, right, that same, which is really interesting, that same month that all of this like before went down the liquidation of his companies he applied for bankruptcy um and in april of 2020 a canadian judge let a small accounting firm sell and liquidate the company which still had about 1500 staff and over 6000 outlets within varying department stores across um, canada and america and in february of 2020 he stepped down from being chairman of the company after the new york and california offices were raided but we'll get into that a little bit later um but in march of right the same year 2020 a judge said that there was literally no proof that he had actually resigned because he quite literally owned a hundred percent of the shares within the nygaard group of companies so pre-arrest but post public call out of 2020 um one of his sons said that the whole situation has been extremely difficult to deal with this is not the son who i mentioned before filed a lawsuit this is another son so he feared that his dad would flee and use his extensive network and financial backing to do so successfully um which was stated in an article that was released in september of 2020 which was just months uh, before his arrest and his son said that his number one goal would be for his dad to not be able to escape or flee the consequences of his actions throughout the years his son said that nygaard usually spent summers at falcon lake in southern manitoba and would head to one of his properties in california or the bahamas by the end of september um but knowing that he was facing arrest and possibly charges for 20 plus years of all of his bs he would likely set eyes on an area where there were no extradition agreements with canada or the u.s or the bahamas which are three nations currently investigating nygaard his conduct his actions his business practices everything at this point so this same son said that his father doesn't believe that the law applies to him and he also believes that he is above the law as he's never had to answer to anyone and he doesn't intend on answering anyone in the near future at all. So in early 2020 in New York, a 57 women filed a class action lawsuit against Nygaard for raping slash sexually assaulting all of them. Nygaard said they are all lying, all 57 of them, all lying even though they all come from seven different countries and their assaults go back as early as 1977. So two years before the first case we discussed. Um, one of the women who is a part of the lawsuit says that she was 14 years old at the time of her encounter with Nygaard and while she was with him, she was actually shown 
uh, pornography before being raped and then she was given company money to keep quiet about it all and she said that this encounter left her with extraordinary pain and trauma. Another woman who was also 14 years old at the time of her assault says that Nygaard gave her three pills and then raped her after she had passed out because of the drugs. The next day when she came to, she was given $5,000. Another woman in the lawsuit says that she was 15 years old when Nygaard told her to go to a bedroom at Nygaard K in the Bahamas with him to smoke weed. Um, but of course, once she got there, there was no weed present to be smoked. And Nygaard asked her to perform a what she described as a depraved sex act. Uh, and of course, she refused. And then he attempted to anally rape her, which he was unsuccessful at, and then proceeded to vaginally rape her. Now, in February of 2020, another, like a different set of 10 women filed another class action lawsuit where Nygaard was accused of raping them at Nygaard K in the Bahamas and operating what they referred to as a sex trafficking ring. So there were three of them were 14 at the time of their rapes and another three were 15 and the rapes that were outlined in the suit happened between 2008 and 2015. They all said that Nygaard insisted on recruiting and luring and enticing young, impressionable, and impoverished children and women with cash payments and false promises of lucrative modeling opportunities in order to assault, rape, and sodomize them. The suit then says that he drugged the women by putting mind-altering drugs in their drink, or in their drinks after they were forced to drink. Um, and he also initiated multiple schemes to purchase police protection and political cover in the Bahamas and in Canada by making regular payments of tens of thousands of dollars to law enforcement, government officials, regulators, and even to a former cabinet minister um, who would go on to become the prime minister of the Bahamas in 2012, as we talked about before. So Nygaard also paid people using Nygaard company money to intimidate his former victims into silence by slashing their tires, committing arson, which I was like, okay, so if he has them committing arson, then he probably burnt down his own house, right? But anyways, um committing arson as well as paying police to threaten and arrest them. Uh, by having them followed. A woman in California filed an independent suit in January of 2020 after um, being a minor and she was with Nygaard and she was sexually assaulted and imprisoned by Nygaard. So the assault actually began in his home uh, in California in 2012 and continued on a trip to China on his private plane in New York and Florida. He committed sexual battery with the intent to cause a harmful or offensive contact with intimate parts of the victim's body. He intentionally deprived the plaintiff of her freedom of movement by the use of menace, fraud, deceit, and unreasonable duress for an excessive amount of time, is what the lawsuit said. So he was hit with another lawsuit in January of 2020 by a former employee 
who said that at the time, not said, at the time, she was responsible for managing a medical cannabis facility for Nygaard. And between 2016 and 2018, Nygaard touched this woman sexually without her consent on many occasions. And she says that he caused a harmful or offensive contact with breasts, her breasts, and slash or her buttocks, and slash or her groin. Um, Nygaard once even told her that her ass looked amazing, as if this was a compliment. Like, stop harassing your employees. Um... And he then said, you know what they say about pregnant women, and then began to thrust his hips forward, insinuating that he wanted to get her pregnant. Um, the woman was ordered to invite women to attend parties at his California home, and then he would choose a few to spend the night, or in other words, he would choose the ones that he would want to rape. Uh, and he paid every woman for her services, but she objected you know, she was like, I'm not doing this. I refuse. I'm not going to bring other women for you to be assaulted. Um, she wanted no parts of this. And the women later ended up quitting in 2018 after the assaults occurred. And Nygaard was also not paying her salary and not providing her with the benefits as promised. Now, Nygaard says that all of these lawsuits that were filed in 2020 were part of Louis's campaign to destroy his reputation. Liza Minnelli lies. In 2020, two of Peter Nygaard's sons sued him because when they were teenagers, their father set them up to be raped by his girlfriend at the time, who was a known sex worker. So the lawsuit was filed in New York and it names three of Nygaard's companies. Uh, the suit was filed in the U.S. as both of the boys, both of the boys are American, and Nygaard says that they are lying. His sons' um, identities are remaining confidential for obvious reasons, right? And they are seeking an undisclosed amount of money, and they also requested a jury trial. So in an interview done with CBC, they said that they need to talk about what happened and they hope that their truth will help others to speak their truth about what happened to them as well. They said it wasn't about the money, but they felt it was important to come out at this time because of all the other lawsuits that had been filed and their dad had been able to just be like, oh, they're lying because Louis Bacon made them. But when it came to his own sons, you think your own sons are going to turn against you for money? No, because they have access to all of your money. So it's not about the money, right? And I think it was very important that they clarified that like we're coming out so that we can support the other women and people. It's unnecessary. It's unfortunate, I should say, that they had to come out and tell their stories for validity to be added to women's stories. Um, so the first, the sons were actually raped 14 years apart by the same woman. Who this woman is, don't know. They don't clarify is it Sue? I don't know. Again, they don't clarify. But the first assault took place in 2004 when the son was uh, 14 years old and or 15 years old, sorry. And it happened at Nygaard's home in the Bahamas. So he said that when he when it was going on, there was extreme confusion, there was a lot of shame, and he had very little understanding of what was actually taking place. But he says now Looking back, he can see the pattern, um, and he said the fact that it happened with his younger brother 
that's kind of when it struck him and affected him more and kind of made him see the reality of the situation and see it for what it was rather than just like oh well it's just like an isolated thing that happened to me maybe i just need to get over it maybe i just need to deal with it but the more recent assault um actually happened in summer of 2018 and the son was 14 years old at the time the second son so the suit says that nygaard lured enticed and transported his son from california to winnipeg and upon getting to the house and finding out that his son was a virgin nygaard ordered his winnipeg girlfriend to make a man out of his son so the only girlfriend that is discussed going to winnipeg is sue so i don't i don't know if there's another if there's another like winnipeg based girlfriend that he had and just like brought with him the lawsuit says that the nygaard company and its employees helped to plan and cover up the rapes of both of the boys um he used company employees and money to arrange and pay for his sons to travel to his homes where the rapes took place because he it's so weird to me he literally took them from their place of comfort took them from where they would be close to their moms literally isolated them the same way he did to his other victims but these are his own sons so it's just like it shows that like he's such a sick person it doesn't even matter that these are like his flesh and blood that does it didn't make a difference to him so company money was also used to pay nygaard's girlfriend at the time who was a full-time sex worker um the pair decided to speak out because they were afraid that if they didn't all of the other women who had been abused and assaulted by their father would never get justice and i can't honestly say like i didn't hear as much and i didn't see as much being posted about the nygaard case locally at least until his sons came forward and we're like, yeah, everything that he did to those women, he also did to us. So in 2020, it's unclear when they began investigating him, but they were investigating him. And the FBI seemed to be the first to do it. I think it had, may have had something to do with all of the lawsuits that were filed in that same year. But the FBI raided um nygaard's new york offices as they were searching for evidence related to dealings that included sex trafficking rape sex trafficking involving minors and racketeering and i low-key i always hear about racketeering but i was like i don't know what this means so it's just basically being dishonest and fraudulent about business dealings which he was so this search would eventually lead to his eventual arrest um later in 2020 where he was formally charged and arrested for sex trafficking and racketeering. His then fiance, Sue, at the time was also complicit and she would actively lure girls out to Nygaard K to sleep with her and her crusty mans, whether they wanted to or not. Um, in his formal charges paperwork, prosecutors say that his harm to his victims has included not only economic and psychological harm, but also numerous instances of non-consensual sex, including non-consensual group sex, attempted forcible rapes, and druggings of victims. Leading up to Nygaard's 2020 arrest, um, he remained in Winnipeg probably because this is where he felt the safest for a variety of reasons, but because the Winnipeg police was still very much like, I want to say under his 
thumb right like all of these places were investigating him all of these different lawsuits were being filed and yet there was nothing in winnipeg how is that possible so um nygaard was eventually arrested at the old old age of 79 on december 14th of 2020 in winnipeg at the request of the u.s feds so he wasn't arrested for anything that he'd been charged with in Canada up until this point. It was because of the U.S. feds. And he resided in Headingley Correctional Center, which is a prison just outside of Winnipeg, while he awaited extradition to face his charges. And he was actually arrested on a nine-count indictment. So they were charging him with a myriad of things. Now, while he was in Headingley, he actually was reported to have a very comfortable, a very luxurious setup. And this is what lets me know, like, Winnipeg police and then all, I guess, actors of that system. Because, like, to me, prison guards are, like, a form of police. Um, they were under his thumb and they were still being, they were on his payroll, right? So he had a very comfortable, very luxurious setup. A supervisor from Henningley had actually said that he had a three-person cell all to himself. And it had a TV plastic chairs, and his own personal phone. The supervisor also made it very clear that no other cell at HCC had similar services or had phone access like that. It was definitely because he was Peter Nygaard and he had money. So one of the sons who filed the lawsuit in early 2020 before his father's arrest said that he feared that Nygaard would flee Canada uh, before the determination of whether criminal charges would be brought forth and would essentially leave no way for Nygaard to be brought back to face his accusers. Um, and they made sure this wasn't going to happen, right? They had him. So in 2021, he and his lawyers actually applied for a $1.2 million bail package and house arrest. And this, of course, was denied with the quickness. I can't even say of course. I need to take that back because it's not of course and it's not like I was genuinely expecting for him to get out on bail to be totally honest so to see that that didn't happen I was like okay but because of how old and crusty he is at this point um his lawyers say he is deteriorating very quickly in prison um and they feel like him remaining in prison is a death sentence especially because he was arrested right as the pandemic kind of picked up and started like with the intensity which is like i'm supposed to feel sorry for that bitch. i don't okay like no one cares um they also say that his lawyers also say that he has diabetes and a pacemaker and the combination makes him basically a time bomb like okay and like are we supposed to feel bad for you um and they also say that nygaard is the opposite of a flight risk which couldn't be the furthest thing from the truth right he says that he doesn't have a valid passport and that he's always been willing to speak to police him having a valid passport or not does not matter when you have that amount of money and you have access to your own private jet a lawyer for the attorney general of canada scott farlinger says that Nygaard can't be trusted not to flee if he's released on bail um, and that the release plan put forward by Nygaard's lawyers was utterly brazen and cynical. Now, I don't like lawyers and I don't like actors of the state. 
but Mr. Scott, he really got into Nygaard and his lawyer's asses. Like he really dragged them. Um, and they literally couldn't say anything because of how thorough the dragging was. But I think the reason why his lawyers and everyone and him, they felt it was okay to kind of present these options and do these things is because this is what he's been doing his whole life. So the fact that it's not working now, they're kind of like confused and they're like, well, what do we do now? But like this man literally said, what a joke in the most professional way. He was like, are you serious right now? Like, really? So he said that the COVID situation is not a get out of jail free card, which so what was racing through my mind here but words weren't coming out was that prisons should not be a thing people should not be in prison people should not be imprisoned it doesn't matter who they are what they did so like i don't support prisons or the idea of prisons in literally any way but the idea of this man trying to buy his way out of the situation and not being able to is just comical to me mr scott went on to say that the risk nygaard faces from covid or the risks that he faces from COVID face faces face the risks that are against him because of COVID are outweighed by the seriousness of the charges against him in the US and by Canada's duty to uphold extradition agreements which is like that's cool but why have y'all not charged him He said it's unclear how much money Nygaard still has at his reach and disposal and there's no guarantee that he can't get a hold of this money and use it to run, especially because he had just proposed a $1.2 million bail. So he said it's Mr. Scott, he kept going, it wasn't done yet. He said it's also very clear that Nygaard created his own corporation to create an industry which was created to feed predatory behavior of himself and the others he was connected to. Um, he said that the proposed plan that would electronically monitor Nygaard's movements wouldn't actually prevent him from leaving the house, to which he said, the chase is on at that point. So he was not granted bail and he was not to be granted bail at, bail at any point. 2020, there was a lawsuit filed against Jonathan Barham and this man refers to himself as a hebrew pimp mm -hmm. yeah and his business is a management talent agency for models and actresses and this is the talent agency responsible for sue's management and she is one of their primary clients on november 12th of 2020 a canadian woman filed a lawsuit against jonathan and his talent agency because in 2007 when she was 17 years old, uh, she had very strong dreams and aspirations of becoming a successful model like many of the women he'd represented and were doing really well at that time. So she first met him in his apartment in New York uh, where she was told about a very important friend he had in the fashion business and Peter, Peter Nygaard was this friend and he could introduce her, you know, to Peter, make that connection for her. She was told that first, though, Nygaard needed to see nude pictures of her and instructed her to take her clothes off in order to be a part of an upcoming bikini shoot in the Bahamas. Jonathan then sent the pictures to Nygaard, and once Nygaard approved, the girl was told that she was in luck because Nygaard wanted to meet her. 
Barum then took her to Nygaard's New York penthouse, knowing it was very likely that he was going to rape her. This penthouse was actually above the New York company headquarters, and in 2013, Nygaard actually got a citation from the city for illegally converting part of the building into a private residence with jacuzzi and a disco room. So he wasn't supposed to do this, but he did this so he could, you know, rape girls there, and he was doing it for so long, but they only caught him, I guess formally caught him in 2013. After this young girl arrived, um, Barum and Nygaard gave her alcohol and spiked a few of her drinks with unknown drugs. And of course, like she was 17 years old at the time, so she passed out very quickly, right? She hadn't been doing drugs, she hadn't been drinking before. This was her first encounter with both of those things and both of those things at the same time. So when she did wake up, she knew that she had been raped by Nygaard as she was on her stomach. Her dress was pulled over her waist and her underwear wasn't on and it wasn't anywhere near her. So after everything was over, um, she was kind of in shock and she was taken back to Barum's apartment and she was sleeping on the couch when she was actually woken up by Barum groping her. Like it wasn't enough that she got raped by one man. She now has to be sexually assaulted by another man where she's supposed to be safe and feel safe. So Jonathan, of course, of course, of course, of course, um, denies everything and claimed that if the situation was that serious, he would have been arrested, which doesn't even make sense because she didn't find she didn't file legal charges. She filed a lawsuit. So he said that he has no association whatsoever with Nygaard um, and says that he only met him three times in 2007, which is the same year the 17 year old was assaulted twice during a couple of magazine shoots and once when Nygaard flew him and two of his models to the Bahamas to attend his birthday party. So he went to Nygaard K and participated in all the nastiness that went down there. But you expect them to believe that you had nothing to do with this 17 year old girl. Make it make sense. So this lawsuit um, against the talent agency of his is still ongoing, but the lawsuit against Jonathan personally was actually dismissed on uh, October 21st of 2021, but it was dismissed by the woman who filed. So I'm not sure. It seems like she got legal advice and was advised to drop the suit against Barum personally and just go after his talent agency. For what reason? I'm not sure. I'm assuming because it'll have like a more positive outcome for her. She'll get the the justice she's seeking that way. Guard had actually, after he got arrested, he was bribing one of his illegitimate daughters, or trying to anyways. So following his arrest for sexual assault and rape charges, um, in the charges that were filed in Manhattan, New York, Nygaard tried to bribe his daughter with a million dollar house to co-sign his bail package and publicly claim his innocence and in exchange, he would give her the million dollar house and he would also sign an affidavit um, acknowledging paternity. So before this point, he wasn't willing to legally claim her, you know, and his daughter said, I'm pretty sure sureties are not supposed to be. You're not supposed to get anything in return. So she was like very much questioning this whole situation. Right. So when she spoke about the incident publicly, she said that she was not comfortable um, saying she believed in his innocence and she said that he put her in a very difficult position because she's like you don't want to abandon this person that you came from but if I do that 
if I do what he's asking me to do, then I'm slapping every single victim in the face. And she didn't want to do that, you know, and that kind of took precedent over not wanting to abandon the person that she came from. So the woman is uh, from the Bahamas and she was not aware that Nygaard was her father until later on in life. So it's very likely that like her mom was raped and assaulted and that's how she came to be. Um, and she also said she considered the offer which was honest, you know, but she didn't qualify as a surety since she wasn't Canadian. And she also knew that she could, even if she was Canadian, there could have been extreme legal consequences because the proposed awful offer wasn't at all legal. It was literally a bribe. In 2021, Trey Peel, who is son to supermodel Beverly Peel and Peter Nygaard, um, encouraged his mom to publicly speak out about her experiences and add validity to all of the other stories of all of the other women and girls who had come forward. So after finding out what happened, um, how he came to be, right, like Trey, um, and what Peter Nygaard is doing, Trey told his mom that she had to speak up and that they had to speak up. He told her that they needed to tell their story um, and they need to make sure that other people aren't also afraid to come out because they deserve to have their stories heard. He said, because if you do it, many will follow. Many, many, many will follow. He said this was especially important after finding out that his biological father had been accused and charged with sexually assaulting dozens of women and girls as young as 14. So Beverly was actually married to somebody else at the time of um, the rape of Nye. Nygaard raped her and resulted in their son Trey um and she said it wasn't at all because of her partner and at all because something was wrong with her partner or like their relationship but it was strictly because of Nygaard's abuse but she felt like oh well maybe they're gonna think that like I did something wrong type thing but Trey told her like I'm okay with sharing all this as long as you're okay with sharing it too like we can just go through this whole thing together um, just a side note, it's very telling that two of the children that we just talked about that are both black, he doesn't claim, uh, were born through the rapes of black women and girls, but we will circle back to that. 2021, it publicly came out that in November of 2020, one of Nygaard's associates, I guess you could call them, um, Daniel Fitzgerald was hit with a lawsuit in California from three different women. The three women were forced to engage in in sex acts by Nygaard. And Daniel would bring a woman with him who was forced to have sex with Nygaard. So the sex swap. Um, this was very common for Nygaard and he would routinely bring girls and women to and from the Bahamas, California, New York, and Winnipeg, where he forced his girlfriends to sleep with Daniel. Um, and swinging was a good pastime of Daniel and Nygaard. It's kind of what made up the basis of their relationship for the most part. So from 2008 to 2018, Nygaard was often going to his California home. And whenever he was in town, Daniel would come around for dinner, poker, and of course, sex. Daniel's primary purpose in going to Marina Del Rey was to have sex with women and girls who were provided by Nygaard. So every time he came, he would bring a woman to give to Nygaard for sex. And in 2009, one of the women who were a part of the lawsuit was forced to have sex with Daniel on three different occasions. 
While she was raped by Daniel, she says that Nygaard sat down and watched to gain his own satisfaction before going and raping the young woman that Daniel had brought. So Daniel himself was also luring, enticing, and recruiting young women to engage in commercial sex acts with himself and Nygaard. So Nygaard and Daniel have been friends for a very long time, and since their friendship began, Daniel was actively attending Nygaard's pamper parties in the Bahamas and in California. Their friendship likely sparked because Daniel is a real estate developer, uh, so he could have played a part in the construction of one of Nygaard's many luxury homes. But Daniel used his relationship with Nygaard to promote himself and his business on social media, which probably wasn't the smartest thing in hindsight, but too late now. And he was actually listed as an employee on Nygaard's company contact list. But Daniel made it seem as if he's like a playboy, entrepreneur, and partier that rents luxury homes in Hollywood to celebrities and influencers so that they can throw parties. Daniel would often travel on Nygaard's jet to South America, Caribbean, and New York for the sole purpose of furthering and participating in sex trafficking. And this lawsuit is still ongoing. Now we're going to get into the complicity of the WPS because they're complicit. Police in the areas in which he committed his crimes were all on his payroll, like all of them. And so were government officials. And this spans from Winnipeg, Toronto, New York, California, China, and the Bahamas. So he was actively paying people to turn a blind eye. Um, and this, of course, was not any different in Winnipeg because he used the city as his personal playground of sorts. You know, this is it was kind of ground zero. It's where he learned all the techniques, learned what worked, what didn't work. And if it would have been nipped in the bud, like if there were actual community resources rather than the police, like Nygaard wouldn't have been able to go on to this extent and do what he did on such a large scale. But because the WPS was complicit, they were being paid off, they liked him, whatever the case may be, they just let him do whatever. And eventually they helped grow him into the monster that he became. Um, but this also makes me question how many young black and slash or indigenous women and girls were assaulted by Nygaard and his friends, um, transported, held hostage, and possibly never even made it home. Like, murdered and missing indigenous women and girls is a huge issue in Manitoba, Winnipeg specifically, but then missing and murdered black girls is also a very big problem, especially in a place like Winnipeg, which is problematic and racist in many ways. But, like, if this is what boils my blood, okay? He was literally holding women hostage and raping them in his main warehouse since 1990 or even earlier. And you're trying to tell me, you're trying to tell me that the Winnipeg police didn't know? I don't believe it. I don't believe it. So in 2021, in the fall of 2021 to be more specific, Nygaard was charged in Toronto with six counts of sexual assault and three counts of forcible confinement for incidences occurring between the late 1980s and mid 2000s he was then because he wasn't facing any charges in winnipeg they didn't they're like we don't want to hold him here anymore like whatever we'll send him to you so he was then transported from winnipeg to toronto to deal with these charges rather than being extradited to the u.s as he was initially arrested for so 
He, of course, asked for bail. And, of course, once again, this was denied. Everyone knows this man is a runner, right? He's a track star. If he gets out, he's gone, and no one will ever hear or see from him again. After all of these charges were laid, the federal minister, David Lametti, that Nagard would be surrendered for extradition to the U.S. to face charges, but only after current criminal charges in so-called Canada have been addressed and dealt with. So in 2022, on March 29th of this year, so like quite recently, Nygaard was charged with sexual assault and forcible confinement in Montreal. This incident he's being charged with occurred from November 1st of 1997 and concluded on November 15th of 1998. In this time frame, he did confine, imprison, and forcibly, you know, forces women to travel with him um, across the world. Where is he currently at and what is going on? So he is, Nygaard, is currently in jail in Toronto awaiting that trial to be complete before he faces his Montreal charges. And after his Canadian charge tour is complete, he will face extradition to the US to face his slew of charges there. It's unclear if he'll ever be charged and prosecuted formally in the US because of the crimes he's been charged with in so-called Canada, because of the lengths of the trial, but then also if his health really is that much of a risk, like that's also a possibility that like something will happen to him that way. But to me, to be totally and completely honest, it's kind of sus that he hasn't faced any charges in Winnipeg. That's suspicious. That's weird. Like, it's very, very clear someone is still on his payroll there, despite all of the horrendous things that he's done. And there's still some sort of loyalty to him, which is very telling about the current state of the city and its overall priorities. Okay, so I just realized I filmed all of my thoughts and I didn't even film myself talking. So I'm so sorry for that, but I had a moment. We've now come to the part of the show where I usually discuss my thoughts and I don't have many that I didn't incorporate throughout. I just feel like this whole situation, it's tragic, it's horrendous, and it could have been prevented and nipped in the bud had proper community resources actually been there, which keep people safe instead of the police, because all the police did was continue to perpetuate harm in Canada, in America, in the Barbados, in, in the Barbados, in Barbados, in China, in South America, literally everywhere they went, like, you just had to pay them off and they were chilling. Um, I did not like how people insisted on calling this man good looking because it, that is not true that is not true if you look at any picture he reminds me of like uh, a gremlin like he's he's quite scary looking to be honest and i remember when i was little i would like look at the poster and be like oh my god who is that oh i see everywhere um i think it's very interesting that he still does not face any winnipeg charges despite multiple women coming forward and being like yeah like we are ready to pursue this if you're ready to pursue this and they're like nah we're good we'll sit this one out like it also makes me think if the u.s hadn't gotten involved if the fbi hadn't for filed those formal charges against him 
then Canadian charges would have never been laid. Like he still would have been able to keep living his life. Also, 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 I it pissed me off. But also I was like, wow, this man is diabolical. Because in June of 2020, right, Winnipeg was very much focused on like the Black Lives Matter movement and like the protest and like Justice for Black Lives Winnipeg, all that stuff. So he was literally able to fly Sue in and out under the radar because there were so many other things going on. Now because he likes to document everything there's proof of her being there so it wasn't that under the radar as he thought but still he's just been a devious terrible man from the beginning like these assaults go back as early as 1977 uh, but we discussed them as early as 1979 i think the fact that he tries to blame louis is comical to me because how is it louis felt that like you raped and assaulted dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of women like i'm please i'm not endorsing the kkk man by any means because he's trash also but they're different types of trash not better than one another just different but i feel like the thing that i really want that really stood out to me was the way that racism, colonialism, and white supremacy allows rich white men to use the Caribbean um, as a personal playground, right? So like areas that are left in poverty or that are struggling to get ahead because of the remnants of slavery and colonialism um, and the way that they were overall displaced because of how Western colonialism has ruined their nation, ruined their connection to themselves, ruined their connection to the land, all of those things like these white men get to go in and take advantage of that because of the excess amounts of money that they have, right? They know that their money protects them and they know that they can get away with anything. Epstein and Nygaard made that very clear, right? Like they both were getting caught towards the end of their lives. So it was like they got to do everything they wanted, consequence free. And now when they're basically on their deathbeds, you want to come in and try to hold them accountable for something. When you had all that time to do something and you did nothing, nobody did anything. Nobody stood up for these women and it was obvious what was happening to them. So they also knew that they had to do most of their wrongdoings in the Caribbean nations where their money would act as a shield for them and all of their friends to fulfill their nastiness. So um, also though, researching this case reminded me of the previous trend in where... Um, People were going, like Westerners, white Western men specifically, were going to Thailand and China to fulfill their pedophilic needs um, and desires. And now they're able to go somewhere a lot closer um, and that has a lot nicer climate. Like it's very warm, it's very beautiful. You know, it looks like a postcard out there. And because they're able to build these huge compounds, they now have complete privacy to carry out every sick and twisted desire that their heart it goes after. Um, and if anyone questions them, they were able to just throw money their way to shut them up. And if that doesn't work, then threats and intimidation surely will, because at some point you were complicit in the things that they did. So if you go down or if they go down, you go down, you know, like they make you invested in that way. But that has been this week's episode of Girl You Haven't Heard, where we discussed the case of Peter Nygaard, the Canadian Jeffrey Epstein, everything that he did, um, all the pending charges and kind of where he's at now and you know 
we just really got into this case. I thank you for sticking around. I thank you for listening or watching, whichever you're doing, uh, and really just hearing about the atrocities that this man did and the way that Winnipeg officials and Winnipeg police just kind of let him do whatever, and they literally nurtured him from the beginning and enabled him to go on and do what he would continue to do on a large scale. So again, I thank you for being here and I look forward to seeing you next week.